How do you do, neighbor? It's Marie and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys. Welcome back to Berean Spirits right here on the YouTube and Facebook and the podcast as well. My name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the Southside Church of Christ here in Springfield, Missouri. We've got Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee. Josh, what's going on, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You're not cold up there in the mountains? It is a nice and toasty 73 degrees right now. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, very good. Very good. Richard Dotson with the Kearney Church of Christ in Kearney, Missouri. Richard, you doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm I'm great. I uh it's fifty nine here. It was around eighty yesterday. It felt so nice, but we had some storms go through and uh of course we're on the back side of the front now, so it's cooled off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good here. People have been getting out. We've had some visitors at uh, at church, which has been really nice. Folks seem to be uh, kind of getting a little bit more active and outgoing when it comes, you know, because of the spring weather. So that's that's been good. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And uh, we actually had a visitor a couple of weeks ago from Kentucky that was visiting as they were passing through the area, headed down, actually heading down to Branson, but they uh, uh they were visiting and and had made a comment uh because we were we probably had about 35 to 40 and as far as our numbers are concerned uh in attendance that Wednesday night and uh he he wanted to make a comment about things that we could do to boost our attendance right to to grow the church so he he wanted to throw some ideas out there at us which I found rather interesting uh, because he he started talking about a bunch of extracurricular activities, started talking about youth groups and all kinds of things that uh, would get people's attention and really attract people to come and to check out what we're doing. And I, I you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I asked him uh, what about the power of the gospel in and of itself? And he's he uh, his his idea was well you know we need to do anything and everything we can to get people in here. So it told me it told me a couple of things. First of all, uh, about his view of Bible authority and and probably where he's coming from. But uh, it, I think it kind of goes into the idea of what you uh, decided to talk about today, Richard. Is what is the church supposed to be busy doing, and you know, that of all the things that we're supposed to be busy doing, there's several things we're not supposed to be busy doing and building gymnasiums and having uh, basketball and football and volleyball games and, and things like that. That is not what the church is supposed to be doing first and foremost. And so, you know, we, we look at that and these ideas that people have, you know, why, why isn't the church doing this? Why isn't the church doing that? Well, let's let's look at and let's talk about what the Bible actually tells us the church is supposed to be busy doing, 
And, you know, once we're doing that and we've got that right, then everything else I think falls into place. Richard. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, there's a Baptist church up here. It's a pretty big one. And they got all kinds of things that they offer. And one of them is, uh, uh, well, it's, it's like their own league for, uh, youth activities for uh, soccer and all kinds of sports. And there's a lot of people who go there who don't, who don't even go to worship. I mean, they just go there for the, uh, extracurricular activities. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of muddy in the water when we start thinking about, uh, you know, offering other things other than the, the gospel. Uh, that seems to be what we're supposed to be focused on is trying to tell people what they need to know to, to be saved. But, uh, I, I don't know what that has to do with, you know, youth soccer, but, uh, needless to say, people see the bigger churches doing this and it has a tendency to trickle down. You know, it's like, Hey, this is the, you know, they got a lot of people going there. We could get a lot of people going here too. I will say this. And I, and I want to make this real clear. If you want to copy the bigger churches to try to gain people and you're at a smaller church, you're never going to beat them. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not because they already got the people, the resources. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to, uh, uh, either start going where they're at or you're going to have to focus on, as Chris said, uh, looking at the Bible and seeing what the Bible says that Christians at that local worker are supposed to be engaged in. And then, you know, you can start thinking more about being pleasing to God instead of being pleasing to man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, Josh, it kind of reminded me uh, of the, the idea that when you appeal to someone with worldly things, right? That then that's that's what they're not only are going to expect, but what what makes that any different? You know, kind of like what Richard was saying. Then than any other religious group or any other worldly, you know, YMCA or anything else, right? I mean, what what are we? What would we be calling them out of if we're calling them with you know the very same things that they're engaged in already in the world? Yeah, you're right. Um, <clears throat> there was a, I've listened to a, a sermon this past week and it begun with a quotation from John MacArthur. Um, and all of us would highly, highly disagree with the doctrine that uh, John MacArthur promotes and teaches. But um, one thing that he was doing in this quotation was lamenting the fact that um, Christianity, at least in a modern sense, uh, modern American Christianity has kind of become uh, like basically what we're having to do is market ourselves like a business would market themselves. And so what that turns into is becoming a consumer-based uh, group. And so what we're trying to do is present a product that is appealing to the consumers uh, and that is going to <clears throat> draw in as many consumers as possible. And so what that means is uh, we're going to get rid of the things that are unappealing to the consumers. And so the things about sin and 
and, and judgment and, and all that and holiness and the need to you know change your life all that's going to be laid aside so that we can promote you know the things that are going to be appealing to consumers but chris is is right uh, you know when we when we uh change the message of the gospel in order to be more appealing to people we're not bringing them into a transforming relationship with jesus which is that that's our goal right yeah um chris makes the the good point um you know there was a an article that i came across several years ago and i actually wrote an article in response to it Uh, it was about a church somewhere i think it was maybe somewhere in oklahoma that was using beer as a means of evangelism. And so what they were doing is promoting the fact that we, I can't remember if it was actually at a bar that they were having a church service or if the fact that they were just having beer available. So you could drink a beer while you're listening to the sermon. And one of the points that the the person who was writing this article was making was if that is what it takes to take, get people in the door, are we really bringing them to the gospel of Christ after the beer is done, after the beer is gone? And, you know, <clears throat> I, I think that's the point that all of us have been making for a number of years now is if it takes the entertainment and if it takes all this stuff to draw them in, it's not the gospel that's drawing them in. And I think Jesus deals with that very same concept in John chapter 6 because he feeds the group of 5,000 people miraculously, and then the next day they're following him. Why? Because they want more food. They want their bellies full. And so Jesus says, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And, of course, they're like, well, we want that. Well, no, you don't really because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says, unless you drink my flesh and eat my blood, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the message that Jesus preached was offensive to these people. And so they walked away and walked with him no more. Yeah. And you see, when when you bring them in with the gospel, it's the gospel that draws them and you're making Christians. But if it requires something else, they're not coming to the gospel of Christ. They're, they're coming they're, to, they're, to their own desires, yeah. and we're never going to lead them to that transforming relationship with Jesus. Uh, you know what? <clears throat> Go on to that next point, though. Well, uh, what, hang on. What Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave me too? Yeah. And they said, you know, Peter said, where, where else are we going to go? You have the, the words of life. So, you know, they, under, they didn't understand what he was trying to say. But uh, they were going to stick around and try to, I mean, that's what they were looking for was uh, the, the words of Jesus, you know, yeah. find out what they need to learn. And, and and that's what we need to be offering people. I'd like to hear the sermon, by the way. If there's a sermon out there that you need to drink alcohol in order to watch that sermon, to listen so to it. The church, I gotta, there's I a church hear in that Nashville one. called the Ethos Church out of Nashville, Tennessee. And that's that's what they're promoting. They actually meet in a bar, uh, and um, and and yeah, they they they. In fact, there was some articles where people were interviewing um, young, you know, early twenties uh, people who had left local churches of Christ uh, to start that group, and and uh, 
you know, left the fundamentalism and they got into all of that stuff. You're really trying to tear down the truth of the Lord's church and, uh, and talk about how this was much more relaxing and how they didn't want to take friends to church prior to joining this ethos group in Nashville. But now that they can just go and sit down and drink a beer while they worship and, and listen to the lesson that they're, you know, they're more apt to invite their friends to come with them. It, it's, it's pretty eye opening. Um, if you look up and, and you find those articles. Well, I, I, I guess I have, I'm, I hadn't heard of such. Yep. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, but that's where it's gotten to, you know, even Paul Harvey, I mean, years ago, I mean, we're going way back now, you know, when you, when you start quoting from Paul Harvey, um, you know, the, the rest of the story guy, but uh, he even had a quote years ago that said, as the church becomes, as the world becomes more churchly, the church becomes more worldly. And, and this goes to something that we've talked about on this program several times, because, you know, we, we talk about making God into our image rather than striving to be as we were made in his image, you know, bringing God down to our level rather than striving to reach his level. And and that's really what this is about. I mean, this is trying to make, you know, uh, religion to basically be nothing more than what the world is offering and in embracing what the world has to offer rather than as we read in Romans chapter 12, you know, no longer being conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, so so that's what's being offered, right? That's, that is all out there and people have that option. That's a choice that people can make. But with that said, then we get into the unglamorized, pure heart of the gospel, and we find what the church is supposed to be busy doing, first and foremost, worshiping and glorifying God, right? And, and, and that is doing things, you know, doing that in spirit and in truth, John 4, verse 24, um, and, you know, for that's what God desires, that's what God wants, uh, is to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And so that that's one of the first things that we need to be doing as a local congregation of God's people is worshiping and glorifying God, making sure he is the focus and at the forefront of everything that we do. Well, I agree. Go ahead. Good. I'm glad we settled that. What else you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, one of the things that's interesting about John chapter 4 um, is Jesus specifically says, as he's talking to the woman there, um, the Father is seeking such to worship him. Yeah, so what I think that, that tells us is that God expects worship. God demands we worship him. And, and so uh, <clears throat> to those that think that, you know, I, I just need to, you know, I, I can... As long as I'm there, you know, once a week, then I'm, I'm okay. Uh, God wants us to worship him, and he wants us to worship him not just on Sunday morning. He wants, to worship, wants us to worship him, I'd say daily in a sense, but, you know, every opportunity we have to gather with the Lord's people and worship is something that God desires. And I think we ought to take that seriously. In one sense, it's without ceasing, in the sense that, for example, he says, pray without ceasing, right? Not that everything we do 
is is worship. I mean, there, there's a false notion there, but but talking simply about the church and and what the church is to be busy doing, understand that we're made up of people. Yes, we should be worshiping um, God. You know, in in song, if anyone is joyful, let him sing songs of praise. James chapter five and in verse thirteen. Yeah, I mean, we're just all kinds of things that we could look at and see that we're supposed to be doing in the realm of worship, you know, individually and collectively. Absolutely. This is what we should be doing, which just goes to show that God is at the forefront of our, uh, of our mind and, and to glorify him and not ourselves. Yeah. Wow. That's what we're supposed to. Well, I mean, That's all Richard's got to say. Yeah, yeah. I do that. Sure. I'm with him. Yeah, <laughs> most intelligent thing he said on this program in a long time. Uh, um, Thomas Thornhill. Another serious problem with this: it changes one's approach to scripture. It will affect how they interpret scripture on contemporary issues. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. I, I like that point because. You know, as as you bring people in with worldly things, you know there there's no repentance, there's no turning, there's there's no transformation, and and basically the the problem that we run into, and this is almost like it's getting into another subject altogether than what we originally planned, but is rather than becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus what this creates is someone who simply simply wants to add Christ to every other aspect of, of their life without changing their life. And, and that's not what this is about, right? That's not what God desires. God to change in our life. We're not just adding Christ as another aspect of our life. We're to change our life as a whole. Um, and you know, if we're not doing that, then yeah, it it changes our perspective and our approach on God's word. I think Thomas makes a great point. And you know, uh, to that point, there was a point that I heard this week about a a preacher, a church that was running a preacher training program. They were bringing in young men to train them to preach. And you know, at one guy, at one point, the, the guy would interview the the men who would come. And at one point, he said, uh, you know, I think you know how to preach or kind of you think you know how to preach, but this what I'm wanting to do is to take you apart and lay out all of your pieces and then take those pieces and put you back together right. And that's what God wants to do. We come to him broken. I think that's what Catherine said to Richard when they met. <laughs> it ain't working. <laughs> but that's what God wants to do. We come to him broken. And what God wants us to do is God wants to do is to put us back together. Right. And that doesn't mean we just tweak a little bit of our moral choices or we change our weekend plans a little bit. What it means is that we are being molded and created to reflect the image of God that resides in us. We're conforming ourselves to the image of his son, Romans eight, verse 29. And so that that's not just a, a casual, uh, I, I'm just adding a new friend over here. I'm changing my life to reflect and conform myself to the image of Christ. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm going to, I'm going to say something now other than, yeah, <laughs> but cause I can't agree with Josh. The first part, I thought Catherine's done a pretty good job. 
but uh, <laughs> uh, just to show you, I mean, here in Acts 13, we see that uh, the, the church at uh, Antioch got together and they, in, in verse, well, one through three, but uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit had said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And what they go off and do? Well, that's the first missionary journey. And if you go to uh, Romans chapter 10 and uh, go to verse, let's see here, verse 15, when it's, it's talking about faith in that, that passage, like Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Hebrews 11 and verse 6 makes it very clear. You can't come to God without faith. And so it's important then that somebody tells somebody the gospel. And then Romans 10, 7, 15 says, you know, um, uh, how are they to preach unless they're sent? And that's what we just saw in the, with the church in Antioch. They sent them. They were sent. And what were they to do? They were to preach the gospel. Why? So that men can have faith and that they can approach God. And so th that's important. That's a, that's a pretty big work. And so for us to just sit there and, and gloss that over by saying, well, you know, that might be important, but hey, so is getting people into the building. Well, what's, what should be getting people into the building is the gospel. That's what should be getting people into the building. Churches should be known for preaching the truth. And so the members should be out telling people what the gospel says. And that should drive people to want to come visit the church. Not some, uh, not some bar or not some uh, uh, Starbucks in the back of the building or some youth soccer league or whatever that might be, that shouldn't be the thing that brings people in. What should be bringing people in is the gospel. Now, why is that? Well, again, they want to know more about God, but they also want to be friends with God. They want to be in fellowship with God. How are they going to do that? After they have the hearing of faith, uh, you know, or what's after they hear the gospel and faith is established, that's what, uh, that's where, what Chris was saying, Romans 12, one and two come in, you know, they, they, they're like, Hey, we, we got to change. And so there, it's important then to, uh, if you don't ever hear it, you know, how are you going to know? I, I made this point last Sunday. If, if Josh is standing on the railroad track and, and he doesn't hear the train coming and he's looking the other direction, I don't know very many people that wouldn't go running up and tackling Josh to get him off the train track, but we know that Jesus is coming again. And we know when he comes again, the vengeance of God is going to be uh, inflicted. Well, that, that's, that's pretty scary. And we need to be warning people about that. Not, you know, not by just using, you know, bells and whistles to try to get people into the building, but, but, but telling them outside the building, because when we tell people the gospel outside the building, that's what's going to bring people inside the building to hear more of the teaching. 
and that's through the sharing of the gospel with the people that we come across. Those are my two cents. And it, it can be done through our example as well, right? I mean, the way we, the way we live. Um, well, what's so bad about telling people and saying, hey, you know, you better change because when Jesus comes again, you're going to hell. I mean, what's so bad about that? That's blunt. That's to the point. You might offend them, but at least they heard the warning. I, if, if, uh, Josh would be very much appreciative if he stayed on the railroad track. If I said, Josh, you better jump off those tracks or that train's coming. It's going to smash you to pieces. Well, Josh is going to be very thankful that I told him to get off those railroad tracks. And so, you know, there are different ways, right? I mean, there's, there, there's a different approaches. There's that blunt approach. There is a, a, there can be more subtle approaches, but without beating around the bush, right? I mean, that's, that's the, one of the main points is don't beat around the bush, make sure the point is made, but also, you know, don't convey the thought, convey the, make sure. Yeah. Yeah. The communication is very clear. And if you have to offend somebody to, to make that communication, then, then offend them. But make sure they know what's coming. If someone doesn't want the truth, regardless of how kind and how gentle it is, you put it out there before them, they're going to be offended by it. Yeah. Regardless of how it's said, what exactly is said, the words that are used, when the truth is spoken, it is going to offend some people, but we shouldn't back away. Where was it? Was it, was it, I might be, is it Iconium where Paul was stoned and they drug him out of the city dead. And when he came to, he just gets right back up and he goes right back in and, and he goes right back in there again, right after they stoned him. Where is that? Uh, it's an ax. Uh, I'll look it up here. Hang on. Yeah. Look at 14 and, uh, you know, um, 18, I guess essentially, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about the evangelism as far as the work of the church is concerned here, but, um, to the point that y'all have been making, what, what I think that we need to realize is that there are people that are going to reject the message. And that's exactly the way that God intended for it. And that sounds really bizarre, but it's true. Because in, in Isaiah chapter 55, God says, you know, as the you know, rain comes down from heaven and does not return there, he says, my word shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish exactly what I intend for it, exactly what, it ple what I please. You know, the point that God's making there is when my word is preached, it's going to accomplish exactly what God wants for it to accomplish. And that means that for some people, it's going to draw them in. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's going to push them away. And that's the way God wants it. And it's not that God doesn't want these people to be saved, but there's the heart of these people, like in Matthew 13 with the parable of the sower, Jesus says these hearts aren't prepared to receive it. And so they're not going to receive it. And so what we see is the gospel is an invitation that's been crafted in a way that's going to draw some in and repel others. It's like a little girl for her birthday party um, having an invitation that talks about, you know, they're going to paint their nails and they're going to, 
I, I don't know what all g- little girls do at their birthday party, you know, all that sort of little fun girly good, good stuff that they like to do. Yeah. Um, and all the girls, you know, just might squeal with excitement. And then all the boys are going to be like, gross. I don't want to go there. Well, because they don't want boys. That's why. And so it's an invitation that's intent- crafted in order to draw certain a certain group of people while repelling another group of people. And that's the way the gospel is. If, if there's people that want to love, that love the Lord and want to serve him and want to be obedient to him, his word's going to draw them in. His word alone is going to draw them in. But if that's what, not what people want, if people don't want to change their lives, if people don't want to submit themselves uh, to the gospel of Christ, the word's going to repel them. And that's what it's intended to do. So, and so I think what we try to do is dress it up or, or yeah. trying to add stuff to it to, to draw these kind of people. But God says that's not what it's, the word is intended to do. They're not my people. Yeah. And they're not my people until their heart changes to be receptive to the pure gospel of Christ. So let's talk about something else that the church should be busy doing because obviously, you know, we, we could, I mean, and we've done several programs about preaching the word, being uncompromising and, teaching the truth, speaking, you know, preach the word in season, out of season, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. But there are other things that churches are doing, not just to draw people in, but then there are things that they're doing to make money, right? Whether it's bringing in businesses, having bake sales, yard sales, uh, car washes. You know, the churches have be- gotten into this money-making business where they are, you know, they have to fund the things that they're doing. And because they can't fund the things that they are doing in the community simply by the free will offerings of the congregation, they have to then go out and, and raise money some other way uh, in order to fund things that they've decided that they're going to do. And, and when you look at the scriptures and you, you find out what God has revealed to us concerning the church and how you know, uh, he expects the church to fund the work he's given it to do, what we find is the church is to be doing, you know, having free will offerings, right? First Corinthians 16, we see it's on the first day of the week. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 4 and 5, people bringing offerings and laying them at the feet of the apostles you know, they were bringing these free will offerings and giving to the church, and the church was taking care of the needs that they could supply, but nothing more, right? I mean, they they weren't doing more, obviously, than their means could allow. And basically, the church is doing exactly what they're telling families not to do. Don't live beyond your means. Don't go beyond your means. We have a problem with that in our country, with our government. We have a problem with that, with debt, with families. And now the churches have decided that they're going to get involved in so many works and do so many things they can't afford to do. And so they're having to raise money and ask the community, worldly uh, people that don't even have anything to do with that church, to fund the things that they're doing. And and it just seems completely foreign. Well, it doesn't seem. It is completely foreign to what God has revealed in his word. Yeah. (laughs) There. There's the theme of the day right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it was a good lesson. <laughs> but uh yeah, first Corinthians 16. You know, that's that's about the only means that we do see where 
the church, you know, uh, how, how we see that the church, the work of the church is funded. So I don't know of any other means. If you're looking for biblical authority, where are you going to go? What, what else are you going to look for? I yeah, mean, there's free will offerings, second Corinthians eight and nine, first Corinthians 16, Acts chapter three, four, five, um, Romans 15. I mean, there's, there's a ton of passages, but they all show the same thing. What the church was doing with their funds and how they received it was all through the free will offerings of the local members. And I think, um, one of the things is, is, is when you're doing the work that God has given the church to do, you don't need all that other stuff. You don't need the bake sales. You don't need all, all that other stuff. You're capable of doing the work that God give, gave you to do simply through the free will offerings of, of the members. And, and the reason why these churches have so many fundraisers and so many money-making schemes is because they're doing things that aren't found in the scriptures. And so they need more funding to accomplish what it is that God never intended them for them to do in the first place. Yeah. And, and I think we, we get caught up in worldliness and worldly ideas thinking, and, and people do this as well, right? If I only had more money, if I had more money, I would do this, I would do that. And, and you know, if you can get someone to focus upon, all right, listen, forget about what could be and what is, what are you doing with what you have now? Right. What what are you doing with with the means that you have at, at this very moment? Are you doing anything for God? Are you doing anything, you know, for to further his cause and his purpose and the work of the church? You know, if not, you know, God isn't worried about what ifs and if this and if that. You know, he's wanting to know what you're doing now. And the same is true as a collective, as a local church. You know, what he doesn't expect us to try and and do things beyond our means, right? But he wants to know, what are you going to do with the means that you have? And and rather than looking beyond that, right, do what you can do and understand God is aware and God, God is pleased with that when he is our focus and when we are busy. And, and maybe the best point from the, the less, what is a church supposed to be busy doing? Well, first of all, we're supposed to be busy with the Lord's work right? That first and foremost, because if we're not busy, then, then we won't need any funds. We won't need to, you know, pay for anything, you know, but so we need to be busy first and foremost, you know, but we have to keep, keep in check and stay within our means. Yeah. And I think Paul makes a, a point in second Corinthians eight and nine, uh, that God's going to judge churches based upon what they're able to do. You know, this church may be able to support, you know, 20 preachers and, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in supporting the preaching of the gospel. And this one may not, they may be barely able to pay the, the one preacher that that's working with them. Well, and God's not going to judge them because they can't do it. The other God, God says, what ability do you have? And what are you doing with that ability? Right. That's what God, God is concerned with. And I think that's what we need to be doing. What God, what, whatever, we have been given as stewards to manage. God expects us to do that to the very best of our ability. Yeah. And I think it's important to notice also the Macedonians there in 2 Corinthians 8, 
they gave not just according to their means, but uh, Paul said that they went beyond their means. And I think there's a reason why they did that. And that's because they, they had a mindset that the work that the Lord had given the church to do was their profession. I mean, I'm sure they had different people who did different things to make a living. No doubt about that. But they had to have viewed that as just a means to an end, that their profession was Christ. And they were all in, obviously. I mean, they were all in. And uh, in fact, they had begged the Apostle Paul to be able to be a part of that work. And so, you know, that, that's, that is in stark contrast to what we see with many people today is uh, uh, church and the work of the church, you know, that has to be funded with whatever's left over in our account, you know, whatever we have at the end of the day, you know, we, we put in a little bit of whatever's left over. Uh, that's, that's not the way they thought in the first century. Uh, they were committed to the work of the Christ because that was their profession. Uh, they were, they were all bought in to doing what the Lord wanted. And if we're going to be successful Christians, that has to be our attitude as well. Yeah. You know, in, in that uh, passage of second Corinthians chapter eight and in, in nine, both, both those chapters talk about the churches that were giving and those in Macedonia and, and you know, knowing there was a need and, and it points out that that they gave them first, they gave themselves first to the Lord, right? Which which is what we've we've kind of mentioned and talked a little bit about already. But it also says they they gave beyond their means, and we look at that, and and that is a, it's a profound and powerful statement <clears throat> to say that they gave beyond their means. I've heard people say, oh, they went in debt. I've heard people say they 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 you know, just they try to hard. make. It, possibly make more out of it than it was. It, it was a lot, obviously, if it was beyond their means, right? They, um, it, But what I think about is that widow in the Gospels when Jesus was at the temple and he's he's watching, he's, he's kind of, you know, back in a corner looking at the money changers tables and what people were giving at the temple. And, and here came this widow who gave two mites, and Jesus points out to his apostles, you know what? She gave more than everyone else. And like it was just two mites, two, two, two pennies, basically, in, in our language today. And he's like, Yeah, but she didn't give out of her abundance. She gave out of her means. Right. This, this is what she had left. Right. That there is going beyond, you know, our means. Uh, when we give everything we have left, and that's what she did. But it was such a small, minute amount, relatively speaking, but yet it was all she had. And, and so, you know, to, to have that mindset of, of really wanting to focus upon the Lord and what He's doing, to give, you know, of our means, not just of our abundance, to know that this is who we are, to, to Richard's point, um, you know, that th this is what we need to be doing. We need to be supporting the local work and busy with the work of the local church. This is what we're supposed to be doing as a local church. When you think about our children, if our child is in need for something, you know, I mean, we're going to sacrifice our last dollar to try to help them. 
you know, if they, if they need some medicine or something, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever we got to do to help them because we love them so much. And that's true with non-Christians. I mean, they'll, they'll pay anything and they'll go as far as to go in debt in order to be able to help loved ones. Well, that is the type of love that the Lord wants uh, the church to have for each other, the members of the church. And so if we have a brother who is in need and you're able, then uh, you should want, your mindset should be that you would rather suffer without, uh, and so that your brother can benefit in the same way that you would feel like you would for your child. Uh, th that's the type of love that the Lord wants us to have for each other, that we're willing to sacrifice. And in so doing, you're, you're, you're displaying your faith to God. You're saying, I, I have no doubt the Lord's going to take care of me. Uh, somehow, some way, the Lord will provide, as he always has. And so, you know, that's, that's again, that's, that's having the right mindset. And that's, that's very hard to discuss with someone who, uh, as Thomas Thornhill put, um, oh, what was I, where would, where was he talking about it at? Uh, when someone has a different mindset, basically it's, it's just, you know, it, it frames the way they think. <clears throat> and so likewise, it's, it's hard to convey that message to someone who is not seeking God. Yeah. Well, even, even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, right? When people were, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? And he said in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you, right? Worry about that first and foremost. You know, God will help you take care of the needs that you have. Not that you just sit back and do nothing, but uh, but when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, all this other stuff is going to fall into place. Uh, the problem is we we have a mindset of we have to seek first our daily needs and then follow through with with trying to follow God. And in in that very order, we've already missed out on many blessings that God is offering. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Richard, you're killing me, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're learning that Richard is just a yes man. Yes man. <laughs> uh, no, I had to look it up. I, I noticed this the other day. Uh, in Acts 14, 17, and I, uh, it's just something that struck me. Uh, it's talking about God. It says he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so many times, you know, we look at this and we don't see this as a uh, evidence that there is a God. That's how he left witness for them in Acts 14, 17. But who is it that gives the rains? Who is it that gives the fruitful seasons? Who is it that satisfies our hearts with food and gladness? Uh, well, it's God. And, uh, and it's, you know, that's evidence that there, there is a God. And so we need to, uh, a Christian, someone who is, who is seeking God's will to obey it, they're going to learn that. Yeah. They're going to come to understand that. They're going to appreciate that. So they're going to, uh, 
use money the the very way it was meant to be used and that is as the parable of the talents that they're going to use it in such ways to glorify god yeah absolutely absolutely well josh you got any last thoughts on today's program um yeah go for it uh so yeah, I think one of the, the things that we haven't addressed so much is the responsibility that the, the church has to edify its its own. Uh, we kind of touched on the evangelism and trying to, to bring the lost in, uh, but they do have a, a responsibility to strengthen their own. And you know, what I think that's going to include sometimes is having to tear down. Galatians 6 and verse 1, when he talks about those who are overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's part of edifying. And sometimes it means I have to tear them down and and so that and using that analogy that we used earlier, so we can put them back together right. Not that we're putting them back together right, but so that they can be put back together right. And sometimes yeah, that's ed- part of edification that is we're we're having to to tell people that this is not right. This is not the right way that you're walking and, and you need to, to correct your course. And, uh, you know, I, I know even some of our, our brethren don't appreciate that kind of, of thinking or, or speaking or preaching anymore. Uh, they just want the, the kind of love story. God loves you. And it's all, you know, pink bunnies and fluffy bunnies and rainbows and riding your unicorn off into the sunset kind of thing. Uh, but sometimes that's, that's what is needed as far as the, the teaching that the church is involved in. Sometimes it has to convict you uh, so that it can correct you and train you in the right ways of righteousness. Absolutely. Yep. Richard, last thoughts. Well, earlier I made reference to Paul and Iconium, and that was wrong. I, uh, it's Acts 14. It's Lystra. Lystra. Uh, oh, okay. Acts 14, 19, and 20, it says, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's just... I, you know, my last thought is this, is, uh, you know, you may stand for the truth and be opposed, and you may take it on the chin, even at church. Uh, my point is uh, gather yourself together and get back in the game. You know, yeah. contest, contest for the truth. Sure. Oh, we got, I uh, want to put this one up here. My visually impaired life says great talk guys. I feel no matter how much we try to give, they always, there are, there's always ways to give more. It's just trying to figure out how. Yeah. Appreciate that. Very good comment. Yep. All right. Well, folks, we appreciate everybody who tunes in and listens to Berean spirits. We hope that you'll check out both on the podcast on Spotify and Google podcasts as well. Uh, as check out the uh, various YouTube and Facebook groups that we're a part of with the Southside Church of Christ. You got, uh, and of course, Richard with Carney Church of Christ, and then uh, Josh with the Brookmead Church of Christ in Tennessee. So uh, we just really appreciate all the comments, everybody tuning in and sharing out the program as well. 
And be sure and stay tuned next Thursday as well as we continue our discussion on Bible topics and subjects. Until next time, remember to search the scriptures with Berean spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at reinspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.